Hello and welcome to this episode of the Skiff Meetings Podcast, the podcast for curious professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Miguel Neves and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings. And in this episode titled Return on Wellness, I have the pleasure of speaking with David T. Stevens, the Director of Field Marketing and Global Events at Data.World. David is a 20-year veteran planner who has planned meetings, events, and incentives in media, live entertainment, agency, association, and corporate organization. He's also the five times fittest male event prof and the host of a web series on YouTube called Return on Wellness. In our conversation, we talk about things like the ins and outs of field marketing and how this type of role has evolved. How creative approaches to exhibiting that often cost way less than traditional approaches can be more memorable and very impactful. We talk about sweat working and wellness trends in business events. And we talk about the importance of designing short sessions and serving the right food to keep attendees focused. Lastly, we talk about how the COVID pandemic has made attendees very protective of their time. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation. And if you like what you hear, make sure you check out the other episodes of the podcast on our website and subscribe through your favorite podcast service. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Skift Meetings podcast. I am delighted to have a, a guest who has been suggested by another guest. So this is one of the guests that sort of comes full circle. It's Anke Trifan that uh, suggested that we speak with David T. Stevens. David, really nice to have you with us today. Welcome to the Skift Meetings podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here and I'll make sure Anka gets her uh, non-sequential bills for referring me. Love it. I love it. I, we try to connect the dots between lots of different people. So I think it's fun when we get a, a referral and we know each other anyway, but it's good to connect. David uh, T., you said there's a story there, David T. Stevens. That's kind of your name online, your name on LinkedIn, etc. So, what does the T stand for, and uh, and and why is that always there? Yeah, uh, well, when I started, when I got a Gmail account forever ago, David Stevens was taken, so I went with David T. Stevens. Then, when I signed up for LinkedIn, I was like, I tried David Stevens, and there, and that was taken as well. You know, the custom domain. So I went with David T. Stevens, and so. It's it stuck around forever, but the T, I think is the first time I've ever talked about it publicly. Uh, my dad, not my grandfather, but my dad was born in 1922 and fought in World War II. Oh. He was 58 when I was born. Okay. Uh, that being said, when he got home, uh, when he actually, he, he got an honorable discharge early out of the Navy and uh, he fought in the Pacific. And the first person to help him get on his feet was uh, a Japanese man. Hmm. And he was so overwhelmed with the kindness and generosity of someone who had been put in the internment camps um, in California during World War II 
that that someone could just look past it and help someone um, and not hang on to that resentment. He named me after him or he gave me his he gave me his name as my middle name. And that T stands for Takashi or Takashi as they pronounce it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's when I think about the significance of it, I, I love including it because it it really shows a great side of humanity. Wow, what a story! Thanks for thanks for going there right away. This is going deep right away, but uh, I I you know I always find it strange, or sometimes find it strange. People have the, these initials as sort of part of their names, but I, you've you've kind of made me feel very embarrassed for having any sort of preconceptions about these names. That's an excellent reason to keep that T in there. I hope it stays there forever. I I think at this point it will. Excellent. So I forgot to mention your job role, but I wanted to kind of introduce yourself. You're you're currently director of field marketing and global events at Data World. Tell us a little bit about that, but also tell us about your journey into events. Have you always worked in events? Was it something you studied or was it something that you fell into like like so many people in the industry? Yeah. Um, well, so I've been here at Data.World for the last, uh, I guess, about nine months. I joined in October of last year. Um, I was very fortunate that I got recruited by a former boss. She was going here and she said, you're coming with me. And I actually told her I wasn't. And she's convinced me otherwise. Um, she said, no, no, you're coming with me. And here's why. And gave me compelling, uh, undisputable reasons for, for joining. And I'm super excited to be here. We have a small but mighty team and we're growing quickly. So it's, it's exciting. Um, anything that's events within the company we we get to be a part of and help drive that currently i'm actually in uh at a conference so i'm excited to do this while and uh i'm doing that uh that and also, what kind of events do you guys do because uh, field marketing is kind of an area i haven't delved into too much so can you give us a little bit of, a, of an idea of how that works sure so for example we are uh at snowflake summit we have a 10 by 20 booth we are exhibiting but that's not all we're doing here. So why I have a person on my team who heads up conferences and anything that has to do with the booth is her. Um, but I'm managing all the ancillary stuff around it. So the meeting room last night, we did a event with a couple partner companies at the magician study. It's a speakeasy magic experience. That's invitation only and mm -hmm. super tiny, very intimate, you get to see all the magic up close. It's not the big auditorium thing. You feel like you're in a living room, left a lot of people's minds blown last night, which was super exciting. So field marketing, I, I think of traditional event marketing for the most part. I know there's all types of nuances, but you think of a trade show as kind of, uh, to go back to my dad's analogy of like air cover, um, you know, like leaflets out of the back of a plane type of thing. Yep. Field marketing, um, I think of that more like Navy SEALs and precision work of on the ground execution of operations so that it's targeted and you really kind of in control of your own destiny that way. Yeah. So, so exhibiting is sort of the, the vessel and then you can use experiential activations within that to really make the brand stand out. So you're not just sort of getting the cheapest booth and putting up a pipe and drape or whatever and doing the minimum, but you're actually kind of investing and going way further. Yeah, I think it's a, a differentiation of controlling your own destiny. At the show, you're kind of, you can only do so much, right? You're supposed to stay in your booth. You can't go after people, that kind of thing. You you hope the right people 
see your booth and come by. You can put mm-hmm. stuff on social and you can promote it, but you're still at the mercy of the environment that the show has created. Whereas field marketing, you're really owning that destiny and controlling who you interact with by being a little more proactive. Yeah. And so in your in your kind of the role, the field marketing part, uh, would you include also doing your own kind of roadshows and things like that in that field marketing or is that a completely separate thing? Yeah, I would I would say, especially if you're deciding what cities to go to based on sales rep pipeline and who needs help with pipeline and that kind of thing. Um, conferences are great, but you get that mixed result, right? Like you might get a lot of people from the major metros, but your sales rep in, I don't know, Kansas City doesn't get a lot. So you got to figure out how to drive pipeline for that rep uh, in that in that market who needs it. Yeah. And you also do conferences and other things within that? Yeah, uh, that it happens on my team. Okay. So I don't necessarily head that up, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, we have a conference person who who does that. And then we also do um, some customer stuff, customer marketing, um, digital events, all that. Okay, cool. Well, let's, let's wind back. Let's wind back to the beginning, I guess. You know, I always like to also ask, what was your first contact with, with business events and this kind of world? Because I remember mine and I didn't know this whole world existed before, you know, that moment. Yeah, guidance counselors are are very uh, naive to this industry. <laughs> yeah, they're not the only ones, but yeah. Um, so this is this was my first exposure to it was and it was a trade show, and I was a kid. I had gotten a job with a company called Earthlink back in 1997 or 98. I I was a senior in high school. It was my work experience class, and I sold internet access inside an electronics store. So we would like hand out CDs and try to sign people up. And they said, oh, we're doing a booth at Macworld inside Moscone. And we need people to come work the booth and try to sign people up for the internet. Okay, cool. Sounds fun. I went and it just blew my small little mind. Um, I, I was like, what is this circus? I don't know what this is, but I have to be a part of it. Um, so that was my first event exposure. And then um, I did not fall into this industry by any means. I went out and chased it like it was a dream in the sense that I realized I wanted to be a part of it. And I was still in sales and I was trying to figure out how to get into it. And my first event job was coincidental. I was a... Uh, enterprise sales rep for Nextel. Remember the walkie-talkie phones? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and one of my customers was the, well, soon-to-be customer, someone I prospected, was the San Francisco team for the XFL in the very first iteration of it, which was Vince McMahon's football league. And they were called the San Francisco Demons. And they said they had a street team. And they were looking for people. And I was still very young. And I said, so what's the job exactly? And they're like, oh, you go to like bars and nightclubs and games and you hand out shirts and you tell people about us. And it was experiential marketing. You know, you would create events so that people would turn up and then you'd hand out lots of swag so that people would start wearing it, driving awareness of the team that they existed and trying to sell tickets and whatnot and driving around. I think we had like PT cruisers that were wrapped um, nice. and 
that was my first events job. And that was it. I was done. I was like, I have to figure out how to make this full-time job. And so I did a couple part-time jobs. The XFL went out of business. I ended up getting another customer that was a radio station in San Jose that actually doesn't exist anymore. It was a country station. And I got on the street team there. And then fast forward to 2002, when the dot-com imploded and uh, I left a telecom sales job as a senior AE making fantastic money to go work at a radio station making minimum wage and um and that was the rest the rest of the story that's that's how it all started and I I I I was the brokest I had ever been but I was happy every day to go to work <laughs> yeah it's funny how that works right the 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 money doesn't necessarily work uh, to make you happy yeah, being like 23 also helps as well. Yeah, like, not having big commitments. So out of, I mean, you must have done hundreds of activations, events, all sorts of things. Are there any that really kind of stand out for you as something that you were kind of really proud of, of being part of? Um, there's a few that really stood out to me. I think one that I just got to be a part of that was a really fun and unique and traumatizing but memorable experience was um i was the event manager for mtv spring break and mtvu spring break in mm -hmm. 2006 in panama city it was just such a massive undertaking and it set the record for both mtv and mtvu because it was an unfortunate year with the it being the year of katrina but that meant everyone was coming to one destination. Normally, everything's spread out between Miami and Cancun and all these places. But there was nowhere to go except Panama City. And we had 10,000 people on the beach. And it was it was just, it, it was a, do you want to keep doing this level of event type of event? The, the answer for me was no, but I'm glad I did it. Mm -hmm. Um that was a big one. I think another one that really stands out was back in 2019, we built a, we exhibited at a trade show and it was one of the most creative things we had ever done. We built our booth completely out of cardboard mm -hmm. and we did, we, we were doing a, it was the 50th anniversary of the lunar landing and we built a scale replica of the Apollo 11 moon lander. Yeah. And completely constructed out of cardboard wow. so it was sustainable recyclable and cheap so <laughs> the it, it flat packed so it was on a single pallet and so when it showed up the the i don't know if it was freeman or ges but they're like do you have any other pallets coming i'm like no that's it and they're like oh where's your booth and i pointed to the pallet and they're like i don't understand and walked away <laughs> built this structure and they're like, what the hell? Um, but it was surprisingly cheap because it was so um, efficient, but that, and the show loved it. We, they hung trust to put lighting on it for us for free. Oh, wow. So when you get free lighting, you know, you've done something special. Yeah. So um, that was, that was another one that was substantial, let alone the things it did for pipeline. Like it, it, it put us on the map. Um, and who was we at that point? Like who was who uh, I was working for company? It was called Elation, but okay. I was working for my previous boss. 
And the way that interesting thing happened is she was at a maker's fair. And I think this is important because inspiration strikes when it strikes. Um, She was at a maker's fair and the company who built it, they had made a giant cardboard T-Rex. And she took a picture of it and she sent it to me. She texted it to me and she goes, wouldn't it be cool if we could make a booth out of this? And we were talking about our space theme. But when she happened to text me, I was standing in D.C. at the Air and Space Museum. And they had a little scale, detailless, flat-edged replica of the Apollo 11 lander. And so it all just happened. And I took pictures of it. I took a video of it on all four sides. And when I reached out to these the 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 people that made it, um, they're like, you gave us everything we needed. Like now we just have to upsize it. And they put the um the pictures and video into their CAD program. And they're like, this is easy. We can do this with whatever. And it just just happened to work out. It was one of those dumb coincidences that was perfectly aligned it's funny how you know they're not obviously regular stand constructors right but but i think you get so much more creativity and that kind of like let's let's make it work approach right when you kind of go down that way yeah and we used um they use the spaces in between the legs for our demo station so it worked perfectly perfect yeah it's funny i remember we did a startup competition in Vegas at an IMAX show, I think probably seven years ago, something like that. And I wanted a pretty original award. And so I thought we should have an award that was a floppy disk because, you know, just sort of like tech startup, right? Why not? Right. But I really wanted was what I really wanted was a kind of giant floppy disk. And so I ended up reaching out to 3D printing experts and kind of enthusiasts. And this guy ended up printing. It wasn't as big as I wanted it. It ended up being sort of like double the size of a, of a, of a floppy disk. It was still cool. You could kind of hold it and like there was a little floppy disk or a large floppy disk. But I think it cost me a total of like $11. And he showed up in, in the hotel and just sort of dropped it up at, at the reception. And I was like, awesome, right? Like such a unique kind of award. Yeah. So so I, we were talking about this last night. Um, our we, we did this magic show and it. And it wasn't that expensive. Sure, it was only for 60 people, but we just qualified better. Like we made sure that we wanted the right people we wanted to be there were there. But it, it, and it was memorable. And that's the thing is creativity is free. Yeah. And a lot of times something that hasn't been done before will make your money go a lot further. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So I also wanted to touch a little bit on fitness because you are the uh, fittest man in, in, in business events or in the events industry, the fifth time running. How did that come into play? Have you always been into fitness or is this something that also evolved? And, and where is this competition where you figure out who is the fittest man in, in, in the events industry? Yeah, um, I got 
I got dumped in, um, I, I don't actually remember the year. I want to say it was like 2017 or something like that. It was a while ago. And, um, I had gotten, I had not been working out. I had not been taking care of myself and I decided that I was going to change that. And so I started pursuing fitness quite a few years ago and, uh, oh no, uh, 2007, not 17, 2007. It was, it's been a while. Um, I was like, that doesn't seem right. Um, so I started pursuing fitness and I've just kind of stuck with it for quite a while. And then, uh, about six or seven years ago, well, a little before that I worked for 24 hour fitness at their corporate HQ, planning their incentives and all that stuff and their internal meetings, which really taught me about how to meet healthy and how to meet, uh, in a wellness focused way, because that's just part of their DNA. So we had to do certain things that were just mandatory um, and uh, to live that brand. And then a few, like six or seven years ago, I got introduced to CrossFit, which I had been reluctant to participate in because when it came out, the barrier to entry to be a coach and to open a gym was pretty low. Um, and there were there were a lot of injuries that were happening because there were a lot of terrible coaches out there, unfortunately, because it was a new hot fad. And so people were jumping on the bandwagon and not necessarily doing their due diligence of um, understanding good mechanics and movement, especially with some of the, the lifts and, and gymnastics moves are fairly technical. So I got introduced to CrossFit. CrossFit has a thing every year called the Open. It's called the CrossFit Open. And it is a global qualifier to go to the CrossFit Games. The CrossFit Games are the equivalent of their Olympics. So five years ago, they introduced occupational hashtags. So when you sign up for the Open, it costs 20 bucks to do the Open. And there's a series of workouts somewhere between three and five that happen over the, and there's one workout per week. And when you sign up, you get to put an occupational hashtag. So someone could say, oh, I'm the fittest firefighter or I'm the fittest doctor or I'm the fittest whatever based on the leaderboard from that hashtag. So when I heard about it, um, I had gotten this, this bug about event professionals not, not prioritizing themselves. I'll put it that way um, because there's lots of things when it comes to wellness and I was like, oh, this will be fun. I can find out what other event professionals do CrossFit. So I added event prof to my profile. And so I signed up. I participated in my first year and my leaderboard was empty. So I was the uncontested fittest event prof, period. Not the fittest male, just fittest because there was nobody else. So um but then I started flapping my gums about it and talking some trash to try to help draw some people in to see if there was just other people who were out there doing it, but didn't necessarily think to include the hashtag. Um, year two was unfortunately the same thing. There wasn't anybody else on the leaderboard. And then year three, everything seemed to change. And um, I think year three was 2020. And it was a at-home qualification because of the obvious reasons the male leaderboard only had two or three people in it but the women's 
was very full and very crowded and it which makes perfect sense in our industry um and i was no longer the fittest flat 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 out <clears throat> because the the women outscored me by leaps and bounds um and then that happened again in 21 maybe it was 21 i i don't know i kind of lost track but either way um that was the um that's kind of where it all came from and unfortunately last year i was the only guy on the, the only male on my leaderboard again uh, i don't know what happened to the others but um yeah that's where it came from and it's really just it is my way of um you know the 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 proving ground is is there and i welcome anyone and i basically willingly put a target on myself because i want to see more event professionals take care of themselves and prioritize their health and wellness i think that's an excellent mission let's let's talk about that a little bit more um we've covered this a little bit on skiff meetings and i think anybody listening who wants to challenge david he's he's welcomes the challenge so let's let's see if we can get some more names up there but we, we've covered this a little bit on on uh, skiff meetings in terms of newer generations and it doesn't have to be a age thing but newer generations um turning away from the alcohol based networking uh, and the late nights and kind of saying hey we want to we want to actually be part of these events but we don't need to get drunk or stay up really late at night we actually want to have some more physical activity uh, and that could be meeting outside it can be just having a physical activity session at the start of the day it can take many different shapes but this idea that meetings don't have to be unhealthy um is that something that you're seeing at your events as well or or do you think it's more of an individual thing um it's it's mixed because i'm seeing it at some events and not seeing it at others um i think i think there i think there's an inherent um party-esque atmosphere that happens at conferences and whatnot and you know for for some people, it's their first time away in who knows how long, or it's their opportunity to go cut loose. And I think what it really comes down to is that, that we have an opportunity as planners is to provide agency for our attendees and give them the opportunity to choose what path they want to take. Because there is going to be people, there, there's always going to be people that they have a newborn. They're like, oh, my God, I get to get away. I get some sleep, whatever. Um, and I do want to go out and have some fun. OK, cool. But there's other people that have been on the road for. This is their you know third conference in a row and living that lifestyle is unsustainable. Um, it's just not good for your brain. It's not good for your body. It's not good for your heart. It's not good for anything. So you have to start making more sustainable choices for your well-being and in that scenario we need to give those people the options so that they they come away from the event feeling feeling good about themselves instead of like oh my goodness i'm i'm just exhausted that that event drained me I and mean, we walk so much there's so much activity there's no reason that we should be coming back from a conference weighing five pounds more when we have the activity levels that actually could help us lose five pounds while we're at a conference. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I always find that kind of interesting. But I guess the richness of the food and the kind of the amount that we consume without even thinking about it probably counteracts that in so many ways, right? 
and the lack of sleep. Yeah. It, it's just, it kind of, it, it, it is in, in traditional meeting fashion. It, it all just builds on itself to not yeah. benefit your health. So, but I guess, are you saying then that, is there a way for people to be inspired by activity and fitness and things like that at events and make positive changes? Or is it more the people that are into fitness should be able to continue and have that lifestyle and make connections at conferences as well? I, I think it's both. I think you, it's just like, you know, you try to have tracks for people on different mm -hmm. things, right? Like, um, you try to have a, an event tech track, you have an incentive track, you have anything like you need to have that option so that the people yeah. who are into fitness enjoy being there. The ones yeah. that want to be healthy, the ones who live a healthy lifestyle at home, feel like they can continue to live that healthy lifestyle when they come to your meetings and events. Yeah. Um, and it gives the, the people who maybe haven't or have been trying to the opportunity to engage with it because they might come and do a workout and go, oh my goodness, like, I don't know why I haven't been doing this more often. I need to do this more yeah. because they, they come to, um, and we, we, before we were, before we start recording, uh, you brought the term of sweat working. Um, they go to a sweat working event in the morning and they, they bond with people. That was the thing that I learned at 24 when I was there is every meeting every day started with, uh, a boot camp style workout where everyone, all the GMs and stuff of the, of the gyms were, former athletes and stuff like that. So it was like practice and everyone's ribbing each other and giving each other a hard time, but they're all pushing each other and motivating. You know, I bet you can't do this. I bet you can't do that. And, and people were, were, were building those relationships and getting to know each other. And they all left happy and smiling afterwards and ready to start their day and their brains were primed. Um, so the people that want to take advantage of that, you got to empower them and let alone the, the people who want to try it get to experience this incredibly positive environment. Um, so I, I, I really think it's both, you know, the, the, the other thing I learned there was when it comes to meals, you might have somebody who wants, who's on the straight and narrow, but you might have somebody who's on the straight and narrow, but has their, uh, they call them cheat days. And if anybody who follows the rock knows mm -hmm. his cheat epic, but that cheat day is huge for mindset because it is your one day to stray from the path and do whatever you want. And I would ask people on the surveys because it was super relevant to them, you know, well, do you have a cheat day coming up while you're at the meeting? And if I got a yes, I knew that I had to provide absolute almost garbage on the line <laughs> because that's what keeps them sane. And otherwise they're going to lose it. If they were, if we fed them egg whites and grilled chicken and broccoli, but I don't know, like I could, I could be responsible for, you know, taking that person off their path because they're like, I, I just need, I need carbs. I need my junk food day. Um, so it, it really is about letting people make those choices on the line that says, okay, I'm going to have a salad and I'm going to skip the pasta, but then I'm going to have the brownie because I had the salad. Yeah. Or, or vice versa, the opposite way. I'm going to have the pasta because I'm craving that and I'm going to have a piece of whole fruit for dessert or something of that nature. Yeah. And this was just to keep everybody in context. This was when you were working for 24-hour fitness, right? That was that that period. Yeah, but I do that now at my meetings. Okay, interesting. When I, I'm in charge of the, the 
the line and whatnot. Like last night, we had that magic event, and we had two cocktails and a mocktail. Yeah, another trend that we're seeing. Interesting. And just to kind of wrap this up, in terms of the networking, I, you know, I'm not a gym rat. Um, I find gyms a little bit intimidating, so I could see something that's a little bit more light, a little bit more for people that might not be into fitness to kind of feel more welcome. I could see that being quite a positive step, provided, you know, I've got some workout gear or whatever, something like that. But um, in terms of the, the sweat working, if you will, is it like, it sounds like it can actually be quite a high quality networking, right? Because you're, you're sort of edging each other on, you're helping each other kind of understand how the fitness thing works for you. It may not be as easy to sort of, you know, look at someone and invite them in, like when you're at a cocktail reception or something like that, and just have that sort of like haphazard networking. But it sounds like once you're actually in a, a space sort of having some sort of physical activity, the, the amount of sort of really getting to know each other can actually be quite powerful, right? Like you, you can actually make pretty good friends within those kind of spaces. Yeah, it's, um, it's trauma bonding at its finest. Um, <laughs> you're doing you're doing things that um, you're literally putting yourself in a in a intentionally stressful situation. Um, in the sense that it is putting stress on your body. And when you put stress on your body, the physiological reactions that happen are profound especially when it comes to the brain and what you were then prepared for. But what it does is it, it heightens your alertness. You go into a mild fight or flight mode. Um, you know what's going on. If there, if there's some people that are, you know, giving each other a hard time, people are laughing about it. Um, people are hearing it. Um, we did one at IRF just last, what, maybe it was this month. I don't know. It's a blur. I've been on the road for a little bit, but we did one and it was outdoors. And everyone who showed up, I I, I for, was fortunate to lead it. Um, I told everyone, I said, look, you've all made an intentional choice to be here this morning. Um, you're all here to do something good for yourself. It doesn't matter what level the person next to you is doing, whatever the movement is, do it at your level, do it at what you're comfortable with, because we're all here to do something good for ourselves. And by the end of it, everyone was laughing and smiling and chatting with each other. And we're like, oh, my God, I thought I was going to die during this. And those kind of conversations are just they lend themselves to each other and they all leave with a shared experience because they went through something. And then I we also had a coach there and the coach was putting me through all kinds of nonsense and people were laughing at it. So it worked out. But it really creates that what we're all shooting for, right, that shared experience. And it we didn't have a single weight. All we had was an empty space. We had some towels and everybody brought water and that was it. And on well, some music, of course. But yeah, people had a great time and we all got a group picture after. It was great. It does sound like there's a, a lot of fitness kind of um, knowledge, but also event design knowledge that goes into something like this almost, or at least group dynamic knowledge to make sure you kind of connect. It's the intersection. Yeah. Of both of those things, because you're you're creating an experience that is adventurous to people. It's it it's inclusionary. Um, it's active, and when when you're in that heightened heart rate mode, you and you're experiencing positive feelings, um, you leave happy. And mm -hmm. let alone the, the the chemicals that are produced in your brain, specifically uh, BDNF, which is a brain derived neurotropic factor. When you go to your sessions, you will learn more. You will retain more information, which then usually drives 
great survey scores because if someone's like, oh, I went to this session, it was amazing. Well, why was it amazing? Because they remembered what they heard. Like that's that's big. So then you're priming people for the rest of their day to come back with more information than they would have typically shown up with if they were like still hung over and just craving a breakfast burrito in the morning. Yeah, totally with you. So you mentioned there, you know, some science behind this. And I think that makes a lot of sense. If you've, if you've exercised, if you've had the blood rushing through your body, if you've put some, some effort into it, you're going to be more awake. You're going to be more alert. You're going to learn better. Right. Um, is that, is that it, or is there more to this? Well, so the, the, where I learned about this stuff was from a book called spark. And there was a, a, there was this case study of a school where they tested the students based on heart rate range and all this stuff. Um, and, and so that is, I, I think of it as the three M's. This is usually what I talk about mindfulness, movement, and meals. Um, and it comes down to the movement is key because that is what primes your your body and your brain to learn and absorb information. Because you are in that heightened state, your body starts producing these chemicals um, that go to your brain. They, they break the blood-brain barrier. We say there's more oxygen in your blood because you're breathing more, et cetera, et cetera. That helps you on one level. Your, your meals is, excuse me, the other portion, because obviously if you when that's one of the reasons I like to work out in the morning, because when I work out in the morning, I make smarter food choices because I'm like, well, I just did this thing in the morning. I should eat right. And when you get to the the line and there's various things, including a donut wall, you're like, mm, but I don't know. That, that's your choice, right? Um, you do need carbs and sugar after you work out. So whatever. Uh, but you also need protein. I think one of the other things that I learned recently from a coworker at my current company, one of our engineers told me, when I eat protein in the morning, I don't have to take my ADHD medicine. And I, I said, I'm sorry, what? He goes, yeah, any morning I either have a high protein breakfast or put it, have a protein shake. I don't have to take, I, I have so much more focus. And I recently looked into it and this is a thing. This is a genuine thing that while it doesn't necessarily uh, it, it's not a cure or anything else. It does reduce the symptoms and help drive focus. So when you're looking at a line and you're looking at your BEOs and you're looking at your menu, the continental breakfast, terrible for people <laughs> with it that struggle with that for their ability to learn when they go into your sessions. So by having some quality high protein, or if you do smoothies, have a protein scoop option, please, for the love of God, have an option to put a scoop of protein in it. I can't count how many times I've seen a smoothie and there's 70 grams of sugar and two grams of protein. Give people the option because there are people that do struggle with that and you can create that inclusionary uh, aspect to help them learn as well. So food's really important as well. Um, and then mindfulness, of course, when it comes to uh, event design, you have to think about how much information people can take. And we know um, attention spans have shrunk since the pandemic. So give people the opportunity to process what they learned instead of locking them in, locking them in a dark room for hours on end and delivering keynote after keynote. And that never happens. 
I I told my executive team, and it went over like a bag of rocks at first, and then they gave it some thought. Um, you know, the, there was an executive who was like, I, I I need 45 minutes. And I said, Great, can you put the um the the parts that you want people to remember in the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes? Because <laughs> what? And I'm like, they're not gonna remember the middle part. So anything you need to tell them you that you want them to remember, first 10 minutes, last 10 minutes. And he's like, well, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, well, then you need to cut it back to like 20 minutes, 30 minutes at the most. Well, why? Remember when we were on Zoom and we're like, oh, we need to have short, concise sessions? Well, yeah. Their attention spans haven't changed yet. Just because they're in person doesn't mean they're going to retain all that information. So just keep it to that. And he was like, well, should I just do 30 minutes instead? Yes, you should. <laughs> okay. Well, and then we were able to have a 10 minute break after a session so that people could go and, and, and debrief with each other and talk about what they just heard so that they were sharing different perspectives because people learn different parts of, um, of what they learned. Yeah. I love that. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's, it, it's funny. It, it, it sounds very obvious. And I think most people, when they read the research and when they think about their own experience, they'll say, yeah, shorter is better. And, you know, we understand, but then when it's their turn, there seems to be this switch where you sort of forget what you've learned. It's like, but I'm really, you know, I'm just going to talk about this and this is very important. So I'm just going to need all this time. And, and it's, it's funny how people just instantly forget when it's their turn. I, I totally agree. And I also find, find the, um, the, the irony isn't lost on me on, you know, I have a web series that is a long form web series where we sit down and we talk for like an hour to 90 minutes mm -hmm. and it's just two people talking. So um, that, that irony isn't lost on me either, but I think, you know, with online content, you can consume it in pieces and it's a whole different thing. So, yeah. And it's the same thing with this podcast. You know, we have our, our episodes tend to be sort of 45 minutes ish. That's sort of where we're at, but I do find audio is a little bit different because you, you don't, you don't tend to be only listening, right? You tend to be doing other stuff. So it's more of a passive consumption. And, and in that sense, you know, I listen to podcasts that are sometimes three hours long. I rarely listen to three hours in a row. So I'll, you know, stop and start, but I'll, I'll listen to whole episodes, you know, very frequently. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's an interesting dynamic. It takes some time to kind of get the conversation rolling. Yeah. And you want to go deep, right? Because I think that's the that's one of the challenges I have with social media and snackable content is that you want that high impact headline, you want that like, you know, thing that in 10 seconds can change your mind about something. But if you really want to give people a context and really go deep into a topic, you need it a little bit longer, you need to kind of drill in, right? And then you need to find a, the right way to do that. I jokingly say you have to record 90 minutes to get 90 seconds. Yep, that's I think that's a that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will say that I did learn something else that was really interesting. Um, I got to interview a, a human performance um, psychologist. And so she works with Olympians. She's worked like uh, she's worked with um, U.S. Special Forces. She's worked with uh, professional athletes. You name it. These high, high, high performance people. Mm -hmm. And we had a very interesting conversation about circadian rhythms and how circadian rhythms can play into event design. 
because your body and your mind are primed for different things at different points in the day. And it was really fascinating to me that there's a reason that our, our, we all know like the post-lunch keynote is like nap time. But that's not just because of lunch. It's also where our circadian rhythm is. There's, um, uh, I, I will mess it up. There's a dip in brain activity at that time of day, regardless, regardless of if you eat lunch at 11 or noon, you're, you're, you have a brain dip in activity after lunch, which I found fascinating. And then about three o'clock, it picks back up. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that before also with uh, Daniel Pink. I don't know if you've read some of his books, but he wrote a book about motivation. And then he wrote another book about time and, and kind of rhythms as well. And that's one of the things he says, he kind of breaks the day into three. And he says that, yeah, that kind of after lunch period is, it's, it's great if you can adapt to the kind of work that works during that period. That's not a time to have like creative work or to do sort of uh, the kind of top priority tasks. It's more of a time to do admin or something like that because you can sort of like power through it and not yeah. require uh, your top performance. She said the exact same thing. She actually convinced members of at the Pentagon to shift their wartime decision meetings from one o'clock to 10 o'clock. That is, uh, those are important meetings. So I'm glad we're looking at the latest science to figure out when to have those meetings. In, in terms of your work, and you know, we've covered the kind of the fitness and the well being and that um, I just wonder because you know, you're covering all these sorts of events and you're designing for um, attendees of today, right? Um, are you seeing any significant shifts there uh, in terms of how people are interacting or the things that they're looking for? You talked about short attention spans, but I just wonder if there's any other changes that you're seeing, whether it's kind of post pandemic impacts of that hybrid working or anything like that? Are people consuming or attending different uh, events differently today than they were in the past? Um, I, I think that what it really all boils down to is people are being more selective. They, they are more protective of their time. They want to know that what they're doing is worth it. Um, and they want to know that they're going to get that there will be a benefit for them carving out that time. Um, I think last night was a perfect example where we're at a conference with 10,000 people. And there's all kinds of parties and stuff happening. And you have to stand out in a very noisy, crowded market, right? Because there's all kinds of stuff happening. Uh, you, Your value proposition has to be very, very strong. And your messaging has to be stronger than ever as to why their attendance is worthwhile to them. And I think that is that is one of the big shifts is we used to just get people to come to things because they're like, oh, I'll go to that. That sounds fun. And we got away with lackluster descriptions and, and whatnot. I think people are a lot more protective of their time now because they they got to have so much of it to themselves that now they're willing to part with less of it. I think that's a really interesting point. Um, it does sound like a challenge, right? Because it's it's more competition, right? Because everybody's fighting for that for that reduced attention span and that protectiveness of of time. So, what would you say to people kind of that are just getting into the industry and trying to figure this out? Are there any kind of special pieces of advice that you recommend? Um, 
Yeah, I think, I think really think through your intention. Um, you know, they, the, the, the CMP exam starts with, you know, you know, job one before you even start planning is define your objective and or what success looks like. And that's more important than ever. Um, I prepped for the CMP. I never took the test. Um, so I'm not a CMP. Uh, but that's that's really what it's about. It's 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 ensuring you know where your North Star is, where you are going, where are you trying to get to, so that you can really continually navigate to that in every single level of decision. Because you know what what your desired outcome is going to be, it will keep you on track to ensure that you get there. Love it. And yeah, and I think that's one of those universal truths that has always been truth, but maybe you need to also adapt to how people are behaving and what people are looking for, right? As as these things change. Yeah, and, and I mean, it will. It, it's the underpinning strategy to everything you do all along the way. Your messaging, your your confirmations, your how often do you follow up with people? All of those things. So you got to you got to keep tabs on where you're going so that you can get there. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's that's very concise. David, um, want to ask one last question, which is really for your recommendation for somebody else. You're you're now the sort of second generation, so uh, so we're going to go into the third generation of of guests recommending guests, and I like that. Um, so if you have somebody in mind, would love to kind of hear who they are. Yeah. Um, so I was going to recommend Edward Parati. Um, he is. He's very well known in the Bay Area, but I think he he hasn't necessarily I don't know how well known he is outside of there. I'm I'm a Bay Area native and um, he was um, I met him while I was working at an agency called uh, Streamline Events and he was a, a client. He was working at VMware for the for a while and he was just always so inventive and creative and was always thinking about attendee experience and things of that nature before the term attendee experience really existed. But I think one of the things that that is near and dear to my heart is he has had a recent um, change in lifestyle with some health things that came up. And it has really inspired and motivated him and seeing the changes he has made has really been profound to see. And um, and he's he's a total character, so he'll be fun on the show. Um, he's far from reserved by any means, but um, yeah, just seeing the 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 fact that he is uncompromising in his event standards while still ensuring he continues to take care of himself and prioritizes his own health and well being is is fantastic to see someone at that level um, continue to do that. I think Edward would make an awesome guest. So hopefully we can connect the dots and have him on. David, it's been a pleasure. Um, tell us where people can find you if if you're willing to. You mentioned a YouTube web series. Is that a, a podcast kind of thing or what, yeah, how would you define that? It's um, we sit down and chat. Um, I started speaking on this this concept we call return on wellness. And mm -hmm. we did, uh, myself and three other people did a did a white paper on um, the increased ROI by increasing wellness. That's what we started it as. And then I was a guest on someone else's podcast um, with uh, Liz 
Lathan and Nicole Asabodu. And we came up with this term called return on wellness because mm-hmm. they're great at branding things. So when I went out and I did the speaking circuit on that white paper, I would, you know, come off stage and have this great conversation with someone. And I'm like, man, we talked about such awesome stuff. So we decided to start a little show and I'm revisiting a lot of those conversations. And the idea is it's just, it's, it's conversation between um, two people who understand events, sometimes three people and why wellness matters. And it's only on YouTube. It's uh, if you search return on wellness, you'll find it. Um, but there's not a lot of production. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. The idea is you're kind of just listening in on people having a conversation. But I really, I think the big thing to me is wellness is a lot of times seen from some people as this ethereal, um, hippy dippy kind of thing. Um, and some people want the science behind it. So each conversation and this one, this episode that's coming out next month, we we talk about the the term woo woo and the fact that people who are really into wellness um, from a spiritual and, and mental state, like that's not a great term. They kind of hate it. Um, but it was great because the guests I had was um, Janine Cliff from Four Seasons, who is a global sales rep and runs wellness retreats, and Lori Sharp, who has been an event marketer for a number of years and has sat on boards and everything else. And the banter between the two of them about the justification of wellness and the the scientific approach versus the holistic approach and that balance, it was it was one of my favorite conversations so far because wellness isn't this one thing that we can just define. It means different things to different people. So everywhere on social is David T. Stevens. Uh, the, the, the YouTube series is called Return on Wellness. Perfect. What a great segue. And you have a white paper as well. Is that, we, can we find that somewhere? Yeah, if you... Um, or can we put it in the show notes? Linked on my, um, on, my, uh, on my LinkedIn. But yeah, we can also include it in the, in the show notes. It's, it's called Increasing ROI by Increasing Wellness. Love it. What a great way to a great uh, way to end. So, David, thank you again for for being with us today. Appreciate your time and thank you for the great conversation. Hope everybody else also enjoy that as much as I did. And uh, see you next time. Awesome. Thank you.